said, do you ever have the relief you ever paid off a debt? When they said, from death to life, your debt of death was paid. When you think of a debt being paid, the ultimate debt, it's like relief. It is just relief. So um, Kathy has a word, and then Donis is going to do announcements. I heard you have a word. I feel like I have a word of encouragement for the body here. The words just kept coming to me, cleansing, 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 refreshing, cleansing and refreshing. And the Lord says that that's what he wants. That's what he's doing. He's cleansing you. He's refreshing us. He's bringing us into a place of the latter rain. And he says, I have brought the early rain. I promised I would. I brought the early rain. And I promised, I promised I will bring the latter rain. And my latter rain is your cleansing. It's your refreshing. And the Lord says, linger. Just linger. You know, Jesus said, you've learned, you've learned to read the sky. You've learned to read the weather. And it's like that, the Lord says, please, just linger a little longer. Linger. And I will show you how to read the times. The times of refreshing. Even as you stand outside and you can say, I don't hear the thunder, but I can smell the rain. The rain is coming. The refreshing is coming. The cleansing is coming. And the Lord says, just linger. Just linger till you hear it. Linger till you smell it. Linger till you know it deep inside that I have come to refresh and renew you. Thank you. Well, <laughs> I volunteered for this this morning. And uh, thank you. <laughs> I know, I know. And I've been just trying to, you know, listen to God. Of, okay, what do you want me to say? You know, you want me to do, I'm, we're supposed to, I'm going to be doing the offering. You know, so I've been listening and trying to hear what he says. And it keeps changing. <laughs> Has that ever happened to anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> so this is what we're going to do for offering today, and it's completely different. We're doing offering first, okay? And this is a lingering from our worship time is because our offering, our tithes and offering, is a type of worship. And so I want us to just worship today with our tithes and offerings, Okay? And while we're doing that, we're not going to even pray. But we are going to sing, Jesus loves me, while we pass the plates. All right? Are you ready? All right, here we go. Pass them. Ready? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, G. 
Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. That was great. That was great. So now we'll go into announcements. <laughs> you can welcome, since I'm a new grandma, I'm welcoming our new, this member of the church, Navea Grace. Grandpa's holding her. <laughs> yeah. So since I was up here, I thought I could say that. Okay. All right. So, all right. So let's do some announcements. <laughs> Next week, we're going to honor our seniors. Okay, pray for them. Start praying for them right now if you haven't been already. Pray for them as they are going into this next season. It's important. We want to surround them with prayer and God's word. So keep that, and we're going to recognize them next week and pray for them as well. We're also going to start collecting our backpacks for the fall. Okay, so we're going to give them all, get everything done by August 13th. So start collecting all those backpack type of things that you think would go in there. Pencils, crayons, etc. Backpacks, because it's a lot of backpacks, like over 500. So, goal is 700. So, when you see them on sale, grab them. <laughs> okay? <laughs> right? If they're six or eight or ten, just grab them. <laughs> just do it. Yeah, so get going on that and get your brain starting thinking that way. Um, and then on the back of your chairs, we have some information there if you'd like to fill that out. If you have not done so yet, we would love to connect and make sure that we are connected with you. Um, if there's any praise or prayer time um, moments that you want to share, we can pray for you or you can um, have a testimony maybe. That would be awesome. Okay, so that's good stuff there. So those are on the back of your chairs. And then we have, Mel is going to do a... Testimony. Speaking of testimonies. So he is so good. And you know what? He's laughing with us this morning. You know, it's his joy I hear. So I'm going to share with you. Um, it's been almost four weeks, but three weeks ago I wasn't here. Ray was here by himself. That doesn't happen. And you have to realize, what happened to me is I have horses at the house and all the different things that go on with business, but I had a gelding happen. And when I was leading the horse out, he did something very unexpected. And he's about a 1,000-pound animal. So when he projected a different location distance, when we were supposed to be going forward, he changed directions rapidly and took me around. And what my doctor said to me is, I just about dislocated my shoulder, just about. And then he said that, you know, tendons will take time to heal more so than bone. So what I had was a wallop of hurt that I received, and I thought, okay, so to get me from hurting myself more and keeping it sore, I got packed up and sent to Pennsylvania with a friend to just babysit her dog at a thing. So that's why I wasn't here, trying to do rest it, rest it, because it hurt. Um, I came back the next week, and last week I was like, because again, you guys, I'm with the Lord. I know he heals. I've been healed of things. And so I'm just, you know, I'm hanging in there. I'm going to be healed. But last week I asked our group, because we all pray before, you know, we get all these chairs set up and all that stuff, and they prayed over my shoulder. 
And I didn't laugh, but I wanted to laugh because it felt like this little bubbling up. And there was this little line underneath my armpit, and it just felt little, little, little bubbles. But it was the line drawn that this group had prayed over my shoulder. And all this week, the pain that was in my elbow, because remember, I got whooshed around. So that whole section was sore. But it couldn't cross that line. God showed me that line. And I'm sitting here through all this spot, and I'm like, okay, I said I'd give testimony, Lord. And I did. I asked for prayer, and I'm telling you I'm healed. But I'm going to just share a couple of things. Acts 10.34 says that the Lord is no respecter of persons. So when I go through the word of God, and there is in 2 Corinthians 11.24, and I'm going to just quick read it from, and this is Paul speaking. I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count, and at death's door time after time, I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes. That's what Jesus went through, guys, once. Beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. That's Paul. When God says he's no respecter of persons, that's my word. So when last week when they prayed for me, Sarah had a private word and Donna seconded that word and said, you received, because I was telling what, everybody, what the doctor had said to me, you separated this, so I received the pain. God took me to the word and said, what's Paul been through? Like I said, when I first heard the time that God said that Paul was beaten with the lashes, and I mean, I remember going through watching Jesus' stuff. It's a horrific thing. But he was healed. He was healed. And so the other part, the last one is James 5.14. It says, bring it before the elders. You know, folks, week after week after week after week, we say, if anyone needs prayer, and you think, well, sure, Ed needed prayer. You know, so-and-so needs prayer. This person's sick. This person, we can see it, and you guys all need it. You know, so I don't need to ask for it. And I constantly will put myself off because I know God's going to heal me. But he stuck me with that word of go before your elders because I still needed to learn. I still needed to give this. And I'm telling you, that line was cut. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't I all the way heal? Because exactly the prayer this morning, it's done. But all week long, he resurrected the thoughts of why? Because he took me back to scripture. Linger in his word. He says he'll heal. So everybody in this body, don't do what I did. Sit here and say, it's, it's okay to be sore because the doctor said. You know, and okay, if I got a sore toe, but man, when Ed had that stuff with his thing, I'm glad God healed him. You know, healing's in this house. Healing's in this house. We just got to receive it, you know, and I've done, I've gone through, Lord, what do I need to rebuke? What do I need to do? Da, da, da. God's like, just receive it, girl. <laughs> Sit down. Receive it. And that's what, you know, Sarah's and Donna's separate word to me said. And out of two mouths. So I just encourage you all. You know, this testimony stands here to say, you know what? I'm not, I don't have a problem praying if your hair didn't work out this morning. I'll pray with you over it. You know, it doesn't have to be the big stuff. Can't find my keys. I can't do the, you know what, guys? Come in. Let's organize. Let's be praying. And a testimony can say, you know what, guys, I couldn't find my wallet all week. You guys prayed for me. Guess what? I walked home and it was sitting on the table. Why can't we celebrate that? 
You know, I love celebrating amazing because we got some amazing body here that if he, God has done amazing. But God does everything amazing every day in minutes. So, again, that's where I'm at. So, thanks, guys. God reminds you of a tweet, you might want to just start to think about what he was talking about. So for you who do not know what a tweet is, don't worry about it. It's all good. You don't have to worry about it. But um, I was, I follow this worship leader and he's a national worship leader and he's not just one of these guys that produces albums and everybody goes, oh, it's the best album ever. He actually trains worship leaders and he teaches them how to come into the presence of God. And he said, this about worship says worship isn't about getting God to come down worship is about God inviting us to come up here we're we always want heaven to come to earth we want God to show up in our services and God's like why don't you just show up in my living room um, we come before him and we we want to release heaven but what happens is we have to we want God to come here, show up in our worship service, and then, oh, heaven's showing up. No, God do, is not about that. God is, yes, heaven is going to show up in our worship services, but God is like, I need you to come and sit down and talk with me while we're worshiping. This is a conversation with God. We can, he, we can speak out loud. God is speaking to us. Would you really want everything that God has to say to you to be out loud for everybody else to hear? No, nobody wants that. So when we come before him, heaven is released in us, and then it gets released on earth. When we change, we have to be exchanged by that experience of worship. Worship is not us just singing and talking to God and saying, okay, this is who you are. It's about us changing in the presence of the Almighty. It's like Moses. Moses got the tail end of God's glory, and it changed him forever. Some of us, we need to learn to stand in silence before God. Some of us need to learn to be expressive before God. Both of those can be worship, but then we need to learn how to do it bo both ways. There's times where you can be expressive, and there's sometimes we need to be flat on our face before God in worship. You all don't have to lay out on the floor, I'm just saying, but there's times where we have to stand in silence and let God do what he does while we're worshiping him. Anyway, that one was for free. The rest you'll have to pay for. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you are present with us. God, we thank you for this body. We thank you for this place and that we can come before you and hear your word. Let you minister to us as we minister to you, Father. We just thank you that you love us. You have unconditional love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, how many of you guys have a kitchen table?
um, Jared and Kaylee have a slide table. <laughs> um, anyway, you'll get the joke later. Ask them about it. Um, so, kitchen table. You know, four legs, flat surface, and a lot of times it ends up being where you pile junk during the week, and then when you have to eat dinner, you kind of throw it off somewhere else, and then you, and my wife's like, no, See, that doesn't happen in our house, but um, for you who are not my wife, it may be a place where you pile stuff during the week, and then, so, um, it's kind of, a, if you think about it, though, when you have family in the house, it's where life happens. You have kids sitting there, you have dinner laid out, you have them doing their homework there. It, it is kind of the center of the house. You know, people like, the, they want the living room to be where everybody gathers, but you know what, really it isn't. If you've ever had teenagers in the house, if you've ever had young ones in the house, little kids, it's always at the table, because there's snacks, there's something to drink, it's a place where life happens. It's where dinner happens, it's where your kids' homework projects, it's where homework happens, it's where arguments happen, it's where training happens, and it's where conversation happens. And that's life. That's where everything comes together. Because you know, all you can remember, your kids having that school project and you're up late on the kitchen table trying to get it done for them for the next day that they waited, you know, until the last day to get it done and you were there doing that. Well, I started to think about this because I was, here, I was listening to something and, and the guy was talking about a table. And I started to think about it. And I started to, to, to really look into what, what does it hold for us as believers, a, a, as a, what a table is. But I also started to look into it as just as human beings. And they were talking uh, and started doing research. And it started talking about kids have better emotional health when they have dinner at the table. Not in front of the TV watching SpongeBob SquarePants, but sitting at the table with their parents eating dinner. They have better physical health. It, it's a place for them to unplug for 30 minutes while they're eating dinner so they don't have their device in their hand looking at something. You know, we watch TV. If you ever watch TV these days, you will see every kid, and while they're at dinner, everybody's got their phone in their hand. Because what society does is they take the cultural norm and tell you that's what's supposed to happen around the dinner table is we're supposed to be doing this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what is really supposed to happen is it's a place for us to unplug from whatever is going on around in the world and connect with each other. No, this is not a, a conversation on why you should own a kitchen table. Um, this is setting the grounds for why that table is so important for our family health as it is for emotional and, and spiritual health. But who would have thought four legs and a flat surface could facilitate all of that? If you really think about it, a kitchen table is not complex. You know, I remember some of the first tables we had when we got married. They barely had four legs and a flat surface. But we did so much there. And it's where life happens. It's where memories happen. We have pictures of things that happened at that kitchen table and what happened during that time. It, it, it draws the memories. But it's actually the core and the heart of the family 
that actually use that ki kitchen table that causes change and growth. If you have dysfunction at a kitchen table, it's not going to cause change or growth for the good. It's going to cause regression. But when the heart of the family is good and we're at that kitchen table and connecting and correcting sometimes. There's been some times at the kitchen table, it's like, mm, yeah, that was not a good dinner. But stuff, it, it, even though it was tense and it was whatever, we know that no matter what, it's a good, there's still, we're still solid. We're still connected to each other. But, but that, that family around the kitchen table causes seeds of growth in us causes seeds of growth in our children because it, it makes us slow down. Think about you know, should I choose 10 times before I swallow that food or should I choose 30 times before I swallow that food? It makes you slow down and think about who is sitting around you and who is um, what they're saying and what's happening in their life. You talk about real life at the kitchen table. It's different when you are cohesive and you talk about life, things get worked out in the end. But think about this. If you bring someone into your kitchen table and you set them there, you set a stranger at your kitchen table or someone you, you barely know, it takes a while. But there's something about being at that table when you're having dinner, when you're eating a, a food together that opens up people. They will say things to you that you never wanted to hear or never knew about them. It's like we've sat at our kitchen table and people have told us some of the, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened or this is going on. And it's like they probably would have never told you that unless you gave them some food and a glass of water. But it causes seeds of growth in our families, in our emotional health, in, in a physical health. And it's a lot like that when we come to the Father's table. And wh what's great about that is this, is no matter how your life was growing up, whether you sat and ate dinner together as a family and it was functional or dysfunctional, there's always room at the Father's table for us. There's always room for us to come to the table and to sit with the Father. And He always gives us attention. He always gives us that time that we need. Think about this. The Father's table is always open for us. The prodigal son, he, he takes everything that he has, he says he's owed because of his inheritance, and takes it and squanders it, loses it all on hookers and booze and whatever, gambling. Can we say hookers in church? Okay, sorry. I said it, sorry. Any of you offended? You'll get over. Okay. Um, so he blows all of his money and squanders it completely. And he comes down the road back to his father's house thinking, I'll just be a servant in my father's house. I don't care about being a son. I just want to be a servant in his house. At least I know I'll be taken care of there. But what does his father do? His father sees him coming. And he says, okay, hey, he's back. Come on, bring him back in. He, he puts new clothes on him. He gives him rings. He gives him new sandals. He gives him, you know, whatever. And he brings him back to the table. He sets the table before him. They give a feast because he's back. 
So he brings him right back to the same spot he was before he left. And the brother's like, do you not know what he did? The other brother's angry, and he says, do you not know what he did? He squandered money on this, 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 and this. And, but you, you, and I've worked hard for you, and you are just letting him back in, sitting at the same seat, wearing the rings, nice robes, cool new sandals, Birkenstocks, whatever they are. I don't know if they had Birkenstocks back in the Bible, but, you know, okay. Yeah, whatever. Um, but he, he brings them back to the same spot. Irregardless of his sin, irregardless of his attitude, he brings them right back. And, and it's foreign to his brother because his brother's like, I've done everything right. I've done, I've worked for you. I've not squandered my inheritance. I've, I've not asked you for my inheritance. I've done everything the way I should, and you treat him, as the brother thought, better than me. And I think sometimes we forget as believers that the table is always has an open seat. For someone who hasn't met the Father yet, or someone who has left the Father. And I think we, we say, well, this seat is reserved for only the person who has earned the right to sit here. And the brother was like, he hasn't earned the right to sit here because this is what he's done. This is, these are his laundry list of sins, but you're letting him sit there. And he was mad about it. Instead of saying, my brother's back, he's alive, He was mad because he had done so much right in his life that he was entitled to the rights that he had. So doesn't think about this. It doesn't make sense. He knows the rights he has, but he was still entitled to them. By his father, his, his father gave him rights to, to what he had, but he felt like he was entitled to them, even though they were given to him even though he knew the authority that he had in the household, that his father was head and he was under his father, he still felt entitled to those rights. Like, these are mine. This is what I deserve because I've done everything right. Think about this. Jesus said, no one comes to the father except through me. The brother was wanting the, the other brother to come through him to get to the father. You haven't earned it. You did this. You, did, you messed up on this. You ordered this. You spent too much money on Amazon. You took our birthright and our inheritance, and you squandered it on stupid things. But he came to the father. He didn't go to the brother and say, hey, is dad home? I need to, go, you know, I need to slip in and just be a servant and let him not know that I'm out working in the fields. No, he came directly to the only person that could allow him access back into the household. And that was the father. Because the father was waiting for him. He was looking for him. Probably standing on the top floor, looking out the window, looking, this is the only road that can come here. I'm waiting for him and I'm watching for him. But think about this. When we come to the table of God, when we come to our father's table, when, we, when he has set that, that table for us, that t one thing you 
we need to understand is that table is set for us before we're even born. That table is set and it's always been set for us. But I'm going to go back to John 14, 6. It says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that table is set before us. That table is set and there's that open seat for us. But Jesus says, you can't go to the Father unless you go through me, unless I take you to him, unless I bring you before him, unless I present you to him. Jesus is like, this is my friend Matt. He's going to be sitting at this table. And his dad's like, okay. I know, really cheesy, but it's okay. It's about as simple as I could make it there. So, but what happens at the Father's table? What happens at, when we sit at the table of our Father and we start to have those conversations? So, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is 2 Samuel 9. And this is David after he is king, after Saul is dead, after Jonathan is dead. He is like, I still love the house of Saul. And he says in, in verse, uh, excuse me, Sam, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, he says, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? He loved his friend Jonathan so much that even though his father Saul was trying to kill David, he's like, I love Jonathan so much that I'm still going to look for his descendants and take care of them. That's some love right there. He didn't care. What, Saul was trying to kill him, string him up, put him on a stake, whatever. And he's still like, I'm still going to take care of his descendants because Jonathan was a true friend. Verse 2, it says, that There was now a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And he said, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there still not anyone in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of John Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? So, David goes and finds him. This young guy's name is Mesibosheth. I can't pronounce that and try saying that ten times fast. Um, in verse 6, it says, The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, come, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said to him, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you to all the land, Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So David, in his kindness and his love for his friend Jonathan, said, I'm going to find any descendant of him, of his father Saul, and I'm going to take care of him. And he brings him this crippled boy crippled young kid brings him to his table and he takes care of him for the rest of his life. He restores every land that Saul had back to him, which now makes him wealthy because he is now a landowner and he says he will always have a place at my table. So the first thing that happens when you come to the table of the Father is restoration. Meshibosheth, whatever, could not stand on his own. They, they believe that when he, um, in some translations, it talks about when they were fleeing with him, 
because they were afraid that he was going to get killed, they, um, the person taking care of him fell and broke his leg, and they didn't heal right. So he, he's not able to walk properly. So that means he's not able to um, function as a normal part of society, uh, have a normal job where he can get out and do things. But David finds him and says, you know what, I should, in, his, um, in our minds, we're thinking, this is, the, this is like Saul's descendant. This guy could try to rise up like his grandfather did and take me. But David's like, no, this is, this is my friend Jonathan's son. And I'm going to show kindness to him. He's gonna, I'm going to restore what was stolen from him, which is now David's because he's king. He's like, I'm going to give it back to you. So when we come to the table and we talk to our father, restoration happens in our life. He restores things that have been stolen from us. He restores things that have been taken from us. He restores things that have been long gone. And he says, I want to bring this back to you. I want to give this back to you and restore it back to you the way that you should have it. Think about that. Bringing someone in that you don't even know. And just say, you know what? I'm going to restore everything back to you. I'm going to take everything that was your grandfather's and bring it back to you and now you have wealth you're a landowner that means you probably have flocks that you're tending that are people are grazing on because what happened in, in normal uh, culture like that is is if the king was killed most of the other people around him that were his relatives were killed too and then that land went into pu- basically public as public land until a king would claim it as, as his own and David's like, well, this is now yours. I'm taking it back. I'm going to give it back to you. And I believe that's what God does. He says, you know what, that thing that you lost, that you said that was your dream, I'm going to restore it back to you. I'm going to give it back to you. I'm gonna, he, and I, I think God's like this. He's just like, hey, remember that? Sitting at the table and saying, hey, remember um, the thing you had that you really wanted to do, that you really wanted to be? And you're sitting across the table and he goes, here you go. And he just gives it back to us. And I think we think of restoration as this big, glorious thing. And sometimes it's God just pushing it across the table to us and giving us that wink while nobody else knows what's going on. He's like, there you go. That thing you've been praying for, that restoration that you've been praying for in your life, there you go. And then it's time for you to tell your story after that. I think God works in in those ways where he, he pushes it across the table and gives us that little wink. And you know that he's taking care of it. And he says, now it's time for you to tell the story instead of this big parade of every little thing. And say, oh, look what I'm restoring to this person, you know. He, he's like, I'm going to give it back to you. And you tell the story of what I've done for you. But transfer, so restoration have, has to happen before transformation starts, Right? You can't have transformation without some kind of restoration in your life. Because transformation means that you're going from one thing to the other. And usually it means you're going from, a lot of times it means you're going from brokenness to wholeness or from hurt to healing. um, Or you're going from one level to the next level. And there's always something in our lives that is hindering us from moving to the next level. It could be anything. It could be fear. It could be worry. It could be doubt. It could be... um, life choices it could be always there's always something that we have that god is working on to move us into transformation so i want to read this to you this is luke 19 we all know this story we sung this song if you were a good baptist kid just saying 
sang this song in, in uh, church when I was a little kid. So we talk about transformation. So Luke 19 says, Jesus went to Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So think about this. You've got Jesus who's passing by. He's going through Jericho. He's, he is, um, has Matthew, who is one of his followers. And Matthew was a tax collector. Hated. Modern equivalent of the IRS. Now everybody's like, yeah, I know all of it. Um, so Matthew was a tax collector, but Jesus is walking through Jericho, and he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see what it was. So it says he wanted to see Jesus because he was short. He could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed in a sycamore tree, which is actually a fig tree, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people who saw this began to mutter. He has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and, and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I have given half of my possessions to the poor. And I have cheated anybody out of anything. I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Think about this. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm going to have lunch with you. What does he say? I must stay at your house today. So that means he wasn't eating a quick meal and, and leaving. He was spending time with Zacchaeus. So chief tax collector, highly hated. This was the guy that took the money from the other tax collectors that took the money from the normal people and tax collectors were wealthy, but the chief tax collector was probably extremely wealthy because he was pulling money from the other tax collectors. So they're like, we hate this dude. He's short. Let's throw him somewhere, get him out of the way. So I just imagine the little munchkins from uh, Wizard of Oz running around as Zacchaeus and climbing a tree. I don't know. That's just how I pictured in my head, I guess. But, um, but he wanted to see Jesus. There was something inside of him that got tugged on. He heard about Jesus. He saw what Jesus was doing in the other cities because people were talking about it. He's like, you know, I can imagine if you're in Jericho, there's people coming from other cities. Jesus laid hands on me. He prayed for me. He touched me, and I was healed. So Zacchaeus is hearing what's going on because these people are coming in and out of cities, and what is he doing? He's taking their money when they come in and out of the city. So he's hearing these stories and probably other words spoken to him. Um, but he, there, there's something that's tugging on him. And it, it's just tugging on him. And he's like, I have to see this man. I have to see what he is, what he's doing, how he does it. Might have been a little skeptical. I don't know. This guy might not be legit. But, says it, but I love it when it says he climbed in the tree. And at that exact spot, Jesus reached the spot. He looked up. Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus Jesus didn't go into towns and say, I don't have a plan for this town. Jesus had a perfect connection with his father. He's like, what are we doing here today? God's like, I have a checklist for you. There's a short dude, really needs you. It, it, he stopped at the exact spot and he's like, what you doing? He's like, I need to come to your house today. I want to spend time with you today. 
All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be a guest with a sinner. But there's always a spot at the table with the Father. There's always a spot available, even for the sinners. The great part about Zacchaeus is he was, go- he was talking with the guy that could get him to the table. You ever heard that term? It's a, a very political term. It's a seat at the table. We want to open up for this country to have a seat at the table, this group or this group. The great thing is, is Jesus, God said, there's always a seat at my table, and Jesus is the ambassador saying, hey, there's a seat at the table for you at my Father's table, and he's willing to listen to what you have to say. Think about this. I guarantee you, Jesus probably listened to a lot of crap from a lot of people. Think about this. He is the one going and looking for these people. He's probably hearing a lot of nonsense come out of their mouth. Say, okay, yeah, that's great, Zacchaeus. We know, we know you have a lot of money. We know you're hated. We know people don't like you. Probably a reason for that. But I've got some good news. You are a son of Abraham. My father has space at his table for you. I can get you to that. transformation happened. Zacchaeus is like, I'm returning stuff that I've stolen. I'm giving back four times what I've taken from people the wrong way. He's not like, well, you know, I, I'll, you know, I'll tithe 10%. No, he's like, I'm changing. My life has changed. I'm giving back more than what I have to these people because I have taken this in the wrong way. And Jesus said, salvation has come to your house today. He didn't say salvation has come to you. He says your house. So that means he probably had a family. So that means transformation happened on a greater level than just him. If you look at that, that, that his house, you look at some of the writings of Paul, it talks about he went to the, the jailer's house. In his house, his whole family was saved. So Jesus is not just dealing with one person. He's like, I want this family to change. Here's the thing is, he gave back lots of money, but he still had wealth. And I believe that God is going to use him for a special plan and a purpose that we don't know, that only God knows about after Jesus left here. Because he became generous. He became restorative. He's like, I'm going to restore what I've taken to other people. So when God transforms us, what happens is we restore things. He restores us. He brings us into a relationship. And then we learn how to restore things, the things that have gone bad in our relationships and gone bad in our lives. So I'm going to finish up with this one. I think we'll go next week, too, on this because I don't have enough time. So, Ezekiel 44, if you guys turn there, we'll we'll deal with this one quickly, and then we'll uh, be done. Ezekiel 44, 16 says, They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall approach my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. So, um, with that scripture, let me find this translation. I want to read it to you in this translation real quick. 
Different translation says, they shall be permitted to enter my sanctuary, draw near to my holy table, and accomplish all that priestly services require. This is Ezekiel. This is setting up on how the priest should um, format everything, do everything, their, their routine of things. But what I love is this, is ministry happens at his table. Ministry happens at his table. That was the first thing that started when God in, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Exodus, told them to how to set up the tabernacle. That was the first time he talked about his table. And this is what should be on my table. And this is how you should present the table. And this is how you should come to the table and what you should do at the table. God was giving table man, uh, manners early on. But ministry happens at his table. And it may not just be you with someone else. It may be you ministering to God. And I talked about earlier with worship, it's about going to his table. It's about sitting to his table and ministering to him and telling how much you love him and what he has done for you and how good he is. Ministry is this. Is, and I believe if you're doing ministry right, ministry is is a reciprocal thing because what happens is life change happens with the person you're ministering to, but God gives you joy and peace from that. If you're not seeing life change in the, the people you're ministering to and you're not having joy from it, you're not in ministry. You're like a Dear Sally kind of, uh, or whatever those help advice columnists that used to be in the paper, um, or you're just like one of the modern talk show hosts. Um, But ministry has to bring transformation and restoration. And I believe that when God said, this is my table, this is how you have to present the things on my table. He's talking about this table in the, in the tabernacle. It had to be perfect. There had to be dishes there and it had to be certain things. You had to bring the bread on this and, and you had to, there's, it was very much, I believe, like the Catholics do with their, their uh, communion tables and the way they set it up. There was very much tradition on the way that they would um, put the plates there and the bowls and different things like that. But it's ministry is happening at the table. And it's, and it's not just in, in the Father's table where we have a seat. It's also in our lives. I can't tell you how many times we've had conversations with people at, at our kitchen table that something changes, transformation happens, restoration happens, that God can work at a seat at the table that he can change everything. He can change an entire life, he can change an entire family at a table. He says, all I need you to do is sit down at the table and listen to what I have to say. I think sometimes we sit in at the, we're sitting at the table and we're telling God what's going on. And he's like, will you just shush? He's trying to do the pass and wink thing to you we're so busy telling him about what's going on that he can't do the pass and wink thing to us. He's like, I have something for you, and I'm re I'm, I can slide it across the table, but we're too busy talking about what we're doing, what our problems were, instead of sitting and listening to him. Think about Mary and Martha. Martha's just busy. She's like, I got to make dinner. She's like, you know, six different cheeses. She's got a little board out there with different meats, and she got her sparkling beverages and and the wine in one thing and and there there's rye bread and unleavened bread and she's she's just busy and mary's just sitting at the feet of jesus she's listening to what he's saying 
just listening. And Martha's like, you tell her to get in this kitchen and help me out. That's my wife saying. We, that's how my wife does it. She does it with a little closer. You get in the kitchen. And Mary is so enthralled with listening to Jesus, sitting and listening to him. But Martha's too busy trying to, to make Jesus happy. And he's like, she's just listening. She's just gleaning from me. And I think sometimes we, when we are sitting at the table with God, we got to quit. Just shut up and listen to what he has to say. Because he has a lot to say about us and to us and for us. Because we have the ability to invite other voices to the table. And I believe the only voice that should be at that table is the Father. And when he has something to say to us, sometimes we just need to be quiet. Because he wants to speak to us. He wants to pass and wink to us what is going on. Because when he, he sits there and he listens to us, he's like, I've got the answer for you. I've got the solution for you. I've got the restoration for you. I've got the transformation for you. Just sit and be quiet and listen to him. Think about this. When Jesus was talking, he had 5,000 plus people. I guarantee you they all weren't quiet. I guarantee you there was a few babies there. But what they did is they listened to what he had to say. When he was talking, people stopped and they listened to what he had to say. Because they knew that when he was silent, when they, when they remained silent, when they quieted themselves, Samuel knew the same thing. He quieted himself. Hear God. He just needed someone to coach him on that, and I think sometimes we—I'm just—I'm going to be your coach today. Shut up sometimes and just let God talk. I'm not telling you to shut up. I'm just saying quiet yourself sometimes and let God talk. Let Him be the voice that you're hearing the most. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that.